Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode eight. I'm excited to introduce my next guest. Her name is Megan DeVito. After battling addiction from the age of 15 and finding recovery at age 25, she has been in recovery for almost over 18 years. During her journey, she has learned how to starve distractions and build boundaries in all areas of her life, including relationships that resulted in dismantling and letting go of emotional debt and embracing forgiveness. She views sobriety as a state and recovery as a process. Recovery has given her the ability to be a mom, a wife, a friend, and a business owner. Megan now has the passion to help others do the same. Let's listen in. Hi, Megan. Thank you again for coming to this podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be here. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Absolutely. So let's just get started. Share a little bit about your story. Okay. Well, I, um, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I am at right now I am 43 year old, um, wife and mom. I did, um, become sober at the age of 25. So it's, uh, so about 18 years ago, um, I started the recovery process. I, I became, um, an active alcoholic in, um, the, at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. And so from 15 to 25 was my prime uh, years of addiction. I mean, at that time, 25 is still young, you know, um, where people are still trying to figure out who they are and they're trying to identify their profession. And it's a time of kind of exploring relationships and all of that kind of stuff, which could include substances. And many do. So did you find being 25 years old at that time, there was like a fear of missing out or something like that? Well, I think um, I try to get sober before I finally hit my rock bottom at 25. Um, and I, I just, it, I didn't have the brain cell to actually, uh, my brain didn't even have the capacity to figure out what would a life be without alcohol in my life. Sure. So I never really thought that there was a different way. Um, and I, I always thought of it as a weakness. It's so, you know, it, it's just the way that I was, I was, I was raised. I mean, I was raised and we'll get more into that story, but with the dysfunction of um, alcoholism and um, self-medicating and it's all I knew. So it's the way that we just operated, you know? So at 25, when I woke up in a car in, um, in a, a parking lot in the streets of Philadelphia in a blackout, I knew that there had to be a better way. Um, and I, knew there had to be a better way and I was willing to try whatever it took because it was a fear of what the next step, it was a fear of um, what could happen um, really like made me sober at that time. So it scared you? It scared me. It scared the life out of me um, because um, at that time I had a career and I was very career minded, but I think that's all I had was my drinking and my career. And I knew if my drinking was out of control, I was going to lose my career. So that's what, that's what scared me into a sober state. It wasn't about that. I, I mean, I think I said to myself, I can't go on like this anymore, but it was all I knew. 
right so it was like it was kind of like now looking back at it i knew i couldn't go on like that but at that time i don't know what i don't think i knew what a um a sober state the reality of living in a in a sober mind really the benefits of it because i never did Mm -hmm. and people around you were they in a similar state as you at that point yeah, so I grew up. I grew up in a very um, enmeshed, um, dysfunctional family, and I didn't know how enmeshed and dysfunctional was until I removed myself from it. Until I started becoming sober and, and started the recovery process. Um, so I, I, um, I have two parents, and then I have a twin brother who is very. Um, very involved in his uh, addiction um and it was always me trying to be there to support and help and not really look at my own addiction but it was so enmeshed doctor that um that it was just the way of life and i can't even i can't even explain the um the explain this it was so severe that um it was just like our language, you know, it mm-hmm. was just like, you were happy. You drank, you were sad. You celibate, <clears throat> you, you drank, you self-medicated, um, something, um, someone died, you just got, you know, inebriated. So it was just, it was just a way of life. And, um, so removing myself from that and starting to become getting sober and then the recovery process, that's where the fi- family dynamic really changed for me. How would, what did that change look like? Um, at first it was, um, it was a first, you know, there was, I had a lot of guilt. I could say I had a lot of guilt of, um, I always thought I was doing something wrong, right? I didn't want to put anybody out for me going away into a treatment facility or I didn't want anyone. And then what, what changed for me was the more that I started becoming healthier and um, clear minded, I started seeing things through different lenses. Um, and what that looked like for me was um, they they wanted to accept my recovery, but they couldn't because they didn't understand it. And how would they write if this was the family way of being, that's the culture within, right, that you've had your whole life. So... I think a lot of people can relate to what you're saying, Megan, in terms of guilt. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to put anyone out because you've already caused pain enough. So at what point were you able to deconnect, disconnect really from everybody you knew? Um, it was really, I think about two years into my recovery. Um, that's when I met my husband and he wasn't, you know, it was my, he, he came into my life and he was somebody that, um, didn't have a drinking problem. I didn't meet him in a program. I met him through work and he kind of started, he loved me unconditionally for the person I was. And he didn't say anything, but he kind of showed me, or he kind of made my eyes open going, this is not how families normally operate. Like there was just so much enmeshment involved. So the more that I started becoming my own individual and started getting stronger, right? The more crazy than dysfunctional my family became. So it's part of my story that I think it's the most abnormal thing, but people in recovery and sobriety understand that people, places, and things are your family. You know, um, it's, and, and it's like, so I had, I started removing myself 
just to put in my own self-care and my own self-health and my wellness. Sure. But then emotionally, I, I, I had to put those boundaries up. And the more that I did, the more that they lashed out in anger, the more that they, um, the dysfunction started like really kicking up. And um, so I was in protection mode a lot in my early stages of my recovery. So what boundaries, what did boundaries look like for you? Yeah. So um, I was, so I um, had a, my son, my husband and I got married and we had a son and that was, I was in protection mode of um, having, I wanted to have a clear relationship at that time with my mom, you know, I, I wanted to invite them into me having um, my first child and all the celebratory things, right? Sure. Now I'm a couple years sober and I'm three years sober and, and I'm in my recovery. And, um, you know, it wasn't going the way that they wanted. So they, they threatened to take me to court for grandparent rights and they did. And um, they didn't have a ground to stand on. And um, so it was almost that I was forced to have this breakup of, um, of this relationship. It was like the most painful divorce. If you ever been through a divorce or any of your listeners have been through, it was like, we, it was like, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And every time I kept trying, having a relationship, I kept losing myself, but I was in protection mode of my child at that time. Uh, because I knew what healthy started feeling like I knew what healthy started looking like. Right. Mm -hmm. I just started operating differently and I didn't want my son to be contaminated. Right. So it was almost like if you believe in um, if if you're a spiritual person or you believe in a higher power, you sure. believe in God. It was he something had to come in and intervene and it made my mother go for grandparent rights. It was a power greater than myself. I know it's so dysfunctional. Right. It's so crazy. Grandparent right? rights. That's, yeah. I haven't yeah. heard that in a minute. Wow. Yeah. So and that was part of I mean, so here I am. Right. Just being a new mom, having two to three years of sobriety and recovery. And now I'm like in it, like I'm in Mm -hmm. this dysfunction. Like I thought it was in dysfunction when I was drinking, I was in the numbing states of dysfunction. I wasn't like, now I'm feeling this, right? All of it. So Yeah. yeah, I'm feeling it. Now I have a spouse involved and my, and my son. So talk about getting real and uh and it was the only way that I was grounded the only way that I could have become grounded was I had to take care of myself through this because how could I protect my son how could I protect my new marriage how could I protect my own recovery if I wasn't taking care of myself through this I mean when I'm when I when I hear that I hear a lot of loss is that something that you experienced in that process of disconnection yeah, so I had to grieve that the alcoholism, right? I grieved that that when you said that becoming a sober at twenty five, I went through a huge grieving process, right? Uh-huh. And then, then then this season, so I had acceptance, right? I had acceptance that I'm, I no longer could drink, right? And I no longer could self medicate. And then this season with my family, it was a loss. It was a grieving time. Um, it was survival mode. Um, and then that's really when my recovery. Started started becoming challenging you know i mean it wasn't my recovery didn't start becoming challenging probably until three years into being sober Mm -hmm. and you when we talked previously you mentioned that sobriety is a state 
and recovery is a process. Yeah. So your process was through all this shit and pain and disconnection because the opposite of addiction is connection, right? And yeah. oftentimes in program or in recovery, it's like stay close to your family, but sometimes your family is the very thing that makes it worse. It, absolutely. And when I say uh, sobriety is a state recovery is a process, here we are, we're sober right now. You know, my kids are um, out in the, in the kitchen being, and they're sober, you know, and it's, but it's that recovery process of learning the new, right? I'm now I'm learning new. How do I operate? How do I not have my emotions drive me when I'm getting being taken to court or I'm getting all this, like, you know, all this like threatening things or it's slander against me after starting a recovery. Like, how do you operate new and not letting our emotions dictate to how we react and respond like that? Cause that's, that's what we did when it, we were drinking. It, yeah. That, that right? kind of drives all of it. Right. That's the foundation of relapse you know, getting back into that old pattern is how you feel. Because when you're in sober, in sobriety, you're going to start feeling all the feels, right? And then most people are like ill-equipped to manage the flood. It's like a flood of emotions coming and you're hit like a brick and you're like, fuck, how do I manage that? So how did that, how did that show up for you and how did you manage that flood? Yeah. So many floods. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so many floods. Right. And, um, and, you know, I, I looked at my son and he was a gift. I mean, he was a, I mean, I, he was just, he, I mean, I was just so blessed. He was such a gift of being in recovery and that gift of being able to be able to be a mom and something that I never thought I was going to be. And, and I didn't die when I was drinking and driving and all the, all the stuff, right? right? Like here I am. So it, the floods, the flood, um, I guess he kept me centered. Um, he, my son and my, uh, kept me centered through that because I knew I knew how I, it was life or death for me when it came to breaking those generational cycles, uh-huh. right? Like I did not want my son to understand. I didn't want him to know crazy. I didn't want him to know dysfunction. And, um, so I was, that was my mission. Like I would do anything. And that was a lot of therapy on my end. Right. It was like a lot of therapy. It was talking to the people that understood, um, what, what that was like. Not a lot of people understand. It was finding those outlets to understand, you know, for that support. And that can be a lonely, um, process too. Right. Yeah, it, it could be, it could be so lonely. I was lonely because then too, like now I have a spouse and I, I don't want to admit that I miss my crazy family, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Someone that came, our, our family came, you know, they came in and they hurt us and they tried to, you know, try to break us up. Like you don't want to admit that you miss the crazy, but that's all you know, right? So like understanding that, but also too, it's just like missing drinking family could be part of your addiction. They could, people are a part of your addiction, Mm -hmm. right? So I, I had to recover in the early stages from the addiction of the substance. Then I had to recover from the addiction of the people, which was my family. And I think a lot of people can relate to the breaking the generational cycle like that, you know, and then the emotional grief and shame and sadness and around what you used to know, regardless if it almost killed you. 
Yeah. You know, tell me a little bit about emotional kind of how did you manage the emotional guilt? It sounds like your family were guilt, like you need to do this. The more yeah. healthier you became, the more unhealthy you saw them become. Yes. Yeah. So. And I, I think that's, I think um, I lived that way. I was always sorry. I was always sorry. Waking up feeling sorry and guilty. And today I'm not sorry for it. If I hurt you, I will be the first one to apologize, but I'm not living in a state of sorrow. Um, and it, and it really was understanding what boundaries um, that word boundaries is something that I never knew. I never, I never had them in my life. I, I was mm-hmm. boundary lit, boundary, boundary list. Like I didn't have boundaries in my life. I didn't grow up with them. So learning how to build them to protect my circle and my protect my heart and my mind, you know? Um, so that was, that's been um, the work that I've been doing on myself probably for the last 18 years and continuing. I still do it every day, you know, um, it's just to uh, build those boundaries and that emotional um, turmoil that we could put ourselves in. I understand that my family is not, um, I understand they were an addiction for me, my family, you know, I mm-hmm. understand they were, and not were they addiction, they were part of my addiction, but they were just as unhealthy as a substance was for me. And when we, Talk about emotional debt. That yeah. is something that your work and the work you do with others about boundary setting and emotional debt. Tell me the relationship between those two. So for here, I mean, I mean, your audience, I'm sure people would understand that, you know, they feel a certain way about something and then they're taking on either their spouse or their sister or their mother, or their best friend, they're taking on their emotional debt. And that's not our co-sign, right? So that emotional debt, I think too, I took on, I remember being in my adolescence and I felt so bad for my parents and I felt I felt sorry for them that it would make me want to be numb and drink and forget about even my existence at living with them or mm-hmm. being part of their family. Like they were just very just depressing people, you know, very negative people. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you look in your life now, like who is in your life? Who's negative? Who is in your life that causes you to feel like, Oh man, like maybe my self-worth isn't there. That's not yours to sign. That's them. Right. So I think having that ownership of knowing what's yours and what is not yours, that is just huge when it comes to the emotional awareness and the emotional health of individuals. Right. Um, that shit doesn't happen overnight, does it? No. <laughs> right. And so what, what things helped you kind of be able to discern, not just about separating physically from your family, but yeah. emotionally doing that, um, saying the no to that and yes to your healthier life, your relationship with your child and your husband. Um, how, do you, how do you get reminded to keep doing that? Um, I think I, I, I mean... You know, I'm I'm centered who I am spiritually, and I I, I mean I think it's like when you know um, that you are just so whole inside because of you know where you came from. Like we all have a, I feel as if the pain that I went through is a purpose to share, right? And you know when you like go through so much, and it's not that victim mentality, right? It's like I went through something, and it's not for me to hold on to. It's for me 
it's for me to share. And I think that has a lot to do with knowing who you are as an individual and knowing that we all have past, we all have skeletons in our closet, and then waking up one day and owning them and then turning it in for good. You know, because I feel as this doctor is that um, the pain that I went through in my adolescence, it's an experience to help somebody else get through. You know, and I think when we start looking outside of ourselves and and, and start looking, how can my experience help others? That's when you know, that's when you know that emotional debt. It's it's not it's not emotional debt. It, it was actually a purpose for you. That's powerful. So for you, you walk through emotional debt to actually letting go of that emotional. I don't know what you would call it now. Um, baggage or, you know, your past that actually wasn't yours ever to own. I think a lot of people can relate to this, Megan, because it's like, well, my family was this way. This is all I know. So how can I get out of this? And I feel bad. Even if they're in recovery, they still feel bad or they still are making excuses to say, you know, they did the best they could. Well, what if they didn't? What if they could have done better? Right. And I very rarely hear that. I think children, I don't care how old we become as adults, there's still like for some to make it okay. How do you get past that kind of mindset of feeling, letting go of feeling bad for them? Yeah. um, There's forgiveness. Of whom? Right. Forgiveness, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have to forgive. If I want to be able to love wholeheartedly and love my children and love my spouse and love myself, there's forgiveness in my heart and I have to forgive and I don't have to verbally talk to somebody to forgive them, right? Mm -hmm. You can have your minute where you meditate or you pray or whatever it is that you do and and forgive people. But I forgive, I I had to have forgiveness because if I hold on to not forgiving, that pain in my heart is going to control my emotions, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That resentment, that anger, that bitterness, like all of that stuff, it's not mine to hold on to anymore. I, I didn't become sober. We don't become sober and, and start recovery to hold on to the things that kept us drinking, because that's not recovery, is it? <laughs> that's not recovery, right? <laughs> we can be sober and hold on to that's it. That's right. right. Sure. You know, you be, right? But, like, why would I hold on to that? So, you know, so I put boundaries in place. Cut people, unfortunately, had to cut people out of my life. It was because of a survival mode type of situation. But there has to be, for me, there has to be forgiveness in my heart and in my soul because... Um, anger and resentment will just make me a miserable, sober person. Mm-hmm. And forgiveness is also a boundary, isn't it? Yeah. I think when people think about boundaries, it's usually like saying no. Yeah. Um, but you would add to that. I would imagine boundaries are way beyond just, no, I'm not going to. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, no is such a powerful word. Um, no, but it's like, um, also, um, when it comes to, um, the boundary piece of that and the forgiveness, it's, 
forgiving yourself, I think giving yourself permission. And I think giving yourself permission to know that. And we talked about this in our initial call about like parent moms, right? Moms who become sober, like they to me are a rock star because when I became sober, I only had myself to worry about. And I had all the time to put into my recovery. If I wasn't working, I made it a part-time job, right? Now you have your, you have littles and you have a spouse and you're trying to get sober. And like, you're like, yeah, I don't even have time to take a shower. Right. So it's that permission, I think, to understand that this is a season and to forgive yourself first, right? And Mm -hmm. and once you forgive yourself, I think then you start having those compassion, um, the compassion in your heart to forgive others. But the boundary piece is huge. I think forgiveness, doctor, is a huge boundary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The no. And then um, also... I'm okay with that, right? It's a boundary. Like it, I can't cha- change the past. It's that acceptance piece is huge too. I think, and that's a lot of things that I say with the clients I work with is accepting. You know, I know in twelve step, accepting the things you cannot change. Yeah. But also in day to day life, and if people right now are in the process of deciding how to disengage, disconnect from people that are toxic in their life. Um, they have to accept it. Do you yes. feel that acceptance has to come first before forgiveness in your mind? Um, I think you have to have acceptance of where you are, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you, okay, this is, and also to be ready, right? The acceptance of be ready for what's going to come next because you cannot control how people are going to react you cannot control how people are going to respond and now even in business and life after you know there's just situations where i might come up with a situation i'm going to say no i'm not okay with this and if people respond react in a certain way that's them and i might have to forgive them for the way that they reacted right but it's also knowing it's just there's um there's correlation and there's partnership in the acceptance and then also in the the forgiveness because you accept where you are right and then you might have to forgive somebody for for being where they are it's related absolutely and when you forgive yourself there's this these two words that a lot of people struggle with is self-love okay right um and first of all Forgiving yourself is is a battle. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a process, I would imagine. And then forgiveness hopefully can lead to some kind of Um, Mm self-like and hopefully ultimately self-love. Maybe for some. That may not be the goal for for folks all the time. But self-forgiveness and for self-love those are two really hard things and those are that's a boundary too is self-loving yourself is a boundary forgiving yourself and others is also a form of a boundary i mean the two are powerful and few can actually believe it's possible yeah i understand it probably doesn't seem obtainable to some others to some people mm-hmm. and it probably didn't seem obtainable to me when i was in it but now speaking this out with you how can you love yourself if you don't love others how can you forgive yourself if you don't forgive others right so it stems from we kind of have to be external and forgive the forgive right for us to forgive ourselves like mm-hmm. it's we can't just forgive ourselves and not forgive others, right? It doesn't mean that we're not going to forget, 
right? But that forgiveness piece, right? I never want to forget, right? Because that's what keeps it real. Like, I don't want to forget it, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But I don't want to live in the pain. So I have a choice, Mm -hmm. right? They might live in the pain, but their pain is not my pain anymore, right? So I have a choice. I'm not going to forget it, but I may, I, I absolutely have the power and the control to forgive it. Absolutely. And would you say part of that, that forgiveness is letting go? Yeah, I, I know, like, in the, I know in the, in the programs, it's like, let go. And, you know, and, right. and it's not that easy. And it's like, let go, right? But what kind of freedom do you want as an individual? That's what I would ask somebody, like, mm-hmm. how free do you want to be on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the most like freedom, I want to live 10 plus, right? right? right. So I'm willing I'm willing to do the heart, I call it the heart work, right? right? Like I'm willing to do all the heart work that I can so I can live free because I didn't put down the drink and the pills to stay stuck and for, and not forgiving and not loving is going to keep me stuck. Yeah. Because part of your story and your recovery includes that forgiving and, and, and self-forgiveness as well and loving self again that's a long long process you know that most a lot of well let me rephrase not most but some of the folks find it unattainable but that's also fear-based right to be afraid yeah it's the anxiety it's the fear but also too like we just don't put down the drink and have the abundance of recovery recovery's work so yeah. if you're not willing to do the work and i'm not sk- saying this to scare anybody right but like it's real. if you're not right like if people put their time and energy and their emotion into getting um a new mind and recovering as much as we did drinking and using pills and doing other things and right sure, like sure. right like then everything would be peachy keen right yeah. i mean so yeah. um so recovery's work and, and, but there's always a price. There's always a price when you put in hard work, anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so the, it's like, yeah, yeah go ahead. There, I mean, there's a consequence, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone in recovery or considering recovery or in sobriety or know someone in that process knows there are different levels of consequences. Consequences doesn't necessarily mean shit or bad. There, it's just a response. It's a reaction, a response of something. And you have chosen to walk through really difficult things, Megan. Um, yeah. It's not been easy. And it, rarely do I hear stories like, that was a walk in the park getting in recovery. Never. And if they're mm-hmm. honest, it's, it's, it's really not easy. So you have to kind of be able to accept that pain is going to come, but it doesn't have to stay. Yeah. Right? And I always say, like, in the beginning, you're like a toddler beginning to walk, right? You're, right, you're, you're right? Like, yeah. you're, 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 you're wobbly, and you want to see this over here, you want to feel this, and this is going to hurt, because you never felt it before, right? It's just like a toddler, right? And if we look at ourselves, like, we are learning, and we're growing as every day, as, a, as we're maturing every day in our journey. And I, all I want to do is be better tomorrow than I was today like in life. Right. Mm-hmm. And I fail and I have setbacks. Right. But that those experiences make me, you know, they make me, they push me harder to be that better person the, the next day. But you, 
you know, and I don't say, I say this, I don't, I don't say this lately, doc, but recovery is work mm-hmm. and recovery is the most rewarding work and the most gift, like the most abundance, right? But it takes time to nurture and it takes time to do it day in and day out. And we can't just go to a meeting and feel like we're saved, right? Like it takes <laughs> right. time. I wish it did. That's not the case. I wish it did too, right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but um, I, you know, I, I love recovery and it's gotten, recovery gave me me, I learned myself at 25. I started learning about myself at 25, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And who's to say that you can't love, start learning yourself at 45? What a gift, right? Like, it can man, be. It, it absolutely can be. I mean, if you can't see Megan, but she's all smiles right now, you know, and she has been in, in recovery for 18 years plus and no easy feat to do that. Um, but again, you spoke about the importance and finding your voice about setting boundaries. Um, I think that's really important message. You know, the work that you do, you work with folks with confidence issues, anxiety issues, and just kind of uncertainty and doubt. Um, and I'm sure they wonder, are they worthy? I wonder if they struggle with forgiving themselves. Um, I bet those folks, whether in recovery or not, have emotional debt. Um, But how to reduce that emotional debt. So would it be safe to say the more respect and honor you have for yourself um, and based on boundaries, the more forgiveness and capacity you have to move forward? Yeah. And I, I, I pour in when I work with people, I mean, everyone's a gift. Like there's no mistake. Everyone is created for a reason and a purpose. And, and knowing that your self-worth is more than, um, what other people think of you. Absolutely. And again, that's a, that's part of the process of recovery in particular, what we're speaking about today. So if, you know, what are the main things that you know, you would like to share with the folks listening who, you know, I don't know a family that's perfect. No yeah. client of mine has said, you know, I had a fantastic, you know, upbringing and they might have meant it, but then we do the work and they're like, wow, that wasn't as healthy as I thought. Um, or they're realizing how unhealthy they are by staying connected with family. So what would you share? I mean, the biggest things that you would share with folks in that situation? Um, Keep it simple and ask yourself, what is it that I want? Right? Like doc, I would say, what is it that you want? And you would come back and tell me like, okay, well, if that's important to you, then you're going to step into that role. Right? Because I, I find it frustrating when people say they want something and then they're afraid of offending others by doing what they want but it's what you want right right so if it's if you step back and you're in a health unhealthy family situation and you want to have good boundaries with your parents or your mom or your spouse you speak up right and you in a in a respectful way in a self-loving way the way that you love yourself and if it's not honored right then the word and then 
that's where the, that's what is it that you want? And then if it's not honored, that's where the work comes in. Right. But like you said, there's consequences to everything and we have a voice for a reason. We're alive for a reason. We mm-hmm. have a purpose, right. And our purpose is not to, uh, fold and be, um, and to, um, take on other people's emotions and, and mold into what they want us to be. No, Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not it so I say I always say keep it simple I know that doesn't probably sound simple to most but keep it simple and ask yourself what is it that you want and then start getting the right professional help and the support mm-hmm. to guide mm-hmm. you because some people really do I, I really truly believe in that doc like we need we need support outside greater than ourselves to have that that bird's eye view and um, and if it's someone in a program where you're not paying for support or if you're getting professional help, that that support really helps you untangle all of that mess, right? But it's doing that personal inventory of what is it that you want. And knowing you deserve it. You deserve it. And yeah. I, I, I got sober in a 12-step program and I will always, uh, I always, you know, respect it. But a lot of the times it's like, you know, we have to make amends and we have to, you know, apologize and, and, and stuff. And it's like, woo, woo. I'm like, at this point, it's like, okay, let's forgive ourselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Let's, let's, let's forgive ourselves and then let's move on, you know, so. But you have to put yourself first, have which to. is all, that's a boundary as well. All of these. You know, we were selfish when we were using and drinking, right? I mean, why not be selfish about, and I say this in a loving way, but why not be selfish about our, our boundaries and our self-love now? I don't, I don't, why not? Right. Why not? And, and so, and that's a boundary too, right? Is understanding that everyone has the opportunity to choose recovery. There is a loss in that process. It will be hard. I mean, people are probably listening like, no shit, it's really hard, but you speak from experience and nothing was easy about what you had to do. No, I, and you know what though? Um, it's nothing is easy, right? But I'll trade it for any day of being in a blackout. Like I'll trade it for any day of self-medicating. I will. So this is a walk in the park compared to being an active addiction. Even with feeling all the feels. Feeling all the feels feeling all the feels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we all have, uh, we've all given um, minds and um, hearts for a reason and, and they're, they're made, we have them so we can feel. <laughs> right, and, and I think that's what hesitates many folks, but with, with what you're saying, they get the right help and the support, they can see that that's, that's actually going to help them moving forward because to have the emotional bandwidth as opposed to the emotional debt, meaning you have less and it's others yeah. you hold. But if you can do this for yourself, there, there's more hope. And I, I think the journey to your point is a process, but it could be a healthier one. For sure. Yeah. And you know, when you go to the gym, right. And you, you're not going to go in the gym and, and after, you know, 12, you know, two sessions, be have your dream body. And it takes what a good 90 days to see transformation, right. You're not going to, um, sure. you're, there, anything takes time, anything takes time, you know? And I think we, um, I have seen, and for me too, you just want to feel so good right away. 
right? You, you, you stop drinking, stop using, you, you want to feel those good feels so right away, but just like anything else, it takes, it takes time. It just takes time. But the reward is just so powerful when, when you do the work and, and anyone listening, I don't want to scare you. It's not hard work. It's just the heart work. It's the getting your heart right and knowing being true to yourself. So then you can, speak up for yourselves and do the and and defend yourself in a way that you're feeling like you're honored so beautifully said um again thank you megan for being here and sharing your story and and what's worked for you um for more information about megan and her work refer to the podcast description thanks again thank you for listening to recovery plus podcast fuck yesterday focus on today I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.